If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today's guest is Taryn Warren. Now, Taryn's going to talk about working equitation as a sport, and I know she's got a lot of insights there. She goes around, she does a lot of clinics with working equitation, but we're going to talk about working equitation as a sport today, which is going to be quite interesting, I think. How are you today, Taryn? I'm doing very well, thank you. Very good, very good. We normally start off with a favourite quote, and you've given me one, it takes the time it takes. Is that like a training quote? Do you use that often when you do your clinics? I use that a lot when I do my clinics. One of the pitfalls we fall into as riders and trainers is that we set deadlines for our horses, but mm-hmm. our horses don't necessarily reap our goals um, and our plans for the day. So when we start to rush things, generally things fall apart. So I try and really stress that with all of my riders that the horses will progress at a different speed based on their age, their ability, their their physical development. And pushing them prior to being ready will create more problems we have to fix down the road. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. And I think that goes across all disciplines too. It's not just working equitation, but right through. You know, and I talk to a lot of trainers from a lot of different disciplines and that's just a common thing that we all just, we have our goals and we set them down and we push ourselves and everything else, but the horses just aren't thinking along the same lines. as They've got to understand what we want of them. I think that's the big thing. And sometimes it takes horses longer to understand. Yep, yep. It does. And the other thing I try and really stress with my riders is that they need to ride for progress, not perfection. There's not going to be a perfect horse out there. There's not going to be a perfect exercise. But what we're looking for in the development is that we're continuing to make progress. So I want them to ride for continual progress, not necessarily putting a perfect picture in their mind Mm -hmm. that is impossible to obtain. And I think that's a good thing to remember is ride for progress, not perfection. Yes. Yeah. Now, Taryn, the whole equitation, it's a fairly new equestrian discipline. Can you tell us a little bit about how it started and how you started with working equitation? Sure. So internationally, the sport's um, pretty young. It's 20, 25 years old, and it started in Europe. It was to showcase the cattle working tradition in Europe. It's kind of taken off all over the world. And so in the United States, it's been in the U.S. for approximately 10 years. Um, It started with the Iberian horses over here, and it's um, grown to encompass all breeds and all disciplines. I've been involved for six or seven years now. I came to the sport because I had a client who wanted to compete her horses in it. And so she brought me a rule book and had me read it. And I showed up at a show and that's pretty much um, history for me. I became extremely interested in the discipline. I like the fact that it showcases the all-around horse and the horses have to be correct mechanically to work in the short dressage court. They have to be correct to work in the tight areas required 
by the obstacles. They have to be able to demonstrate some rating and some adjustability to work in the speed and the cow work portion. All right. So there's four different phases. Is that right? The dressage, the ease of handling, and then the speed. So that's going through the obstacles of speed and then the cow work. Correct. Yep. Yep. All right. Now you've pretty much got hooked on it straight up from your background. You know, the background that you've had, tell us a little bit about that and how this working equitation sort of complemented that. You know, I'm looking for people that might've had similar backgrounds and what they would need to start to be interested in working equitation. Sure. So I grew up just as a horse crazy kid and my horses had to do whatever I fancied at the time. So if Mm -hmm. I decided I wanted to jump, we learned to jump. If I decided we wanted to do a pleasure class, we did a pleasure class. And that followed me through a lot of my young adult life. I mean, I've done everything from gallop race horses and ride dressage to hunters, jumpers, pleasure horses. I've done some halter So when I came to this sport, I felt like, and I had done some cow work, some team penning and some cutting. When I came to this sport, I felt like it kind of pulled all of my background into one arena. So I was getting the the mechanics and the the good development from the dressage. I was getting to perform the obstacles like I had done in um, some trail classes and I had gotten to do speed like I had done in um, galloping the racehorses and doing some barrels and poles. And then it um, rounds out with the cow work. So I felt like it just, it was kind of, I felt like I had kind of been on this path my whole life and I just finally stumbled upon the arena that pulled all of my background together into one discipline. Mm. I mean, before that, you'd probably have to say that you're an all-round horse person, you know, and with the interest in training. Yes, yes, absolutely. My interest has always been in the process to get a horse from point A to point B and then be able to apply that to whatever discipline that was put before me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so to look for a horse, the type of horse that's going to go into working equitation, are we looking for an all-round horse to get started? Because if we're looking for an all-round rider that's had done a little bit of dressage, done a little bit of trails, done lots of different bits and pieces, is that the sort of horse that we're looking for or is it something different? What I tell my clients all the time is that any horse can be successful at this sport. Okay. This sport will improve any any horse, um, any breed, any discipline because it, it, it works on developing the mechanics. So when I came to this sport, what I found was by focusing on what was required in the sport, my horses got better in other arenas. Their spins got better for reining, their stops got better, their adjustability got better, and the cow work. So any horse can be learned to be successful. Obviously, not every horse is built for certain disciplines. So the nice thing about this is that because it has the four phases, you can't have a horse that's just capable of doing dressage. You have to ha- they also have to have the brain and the adjustability to do the obstacle and the cow work. And they have to be able to have a little bit of speed to be able to get through the speed phase and the cow work. So when we're shopping, um, for horses. I like to try and find a horse that has a tendency to move a little bit more naturally uphill. That's Mm going to benefit just the overall performance of the horse. They're going to have to learn to really sit on that hind leg. And so if you have one that already has a tendency to move uphill, then that helps. 
it, horses that don't have that tendency can be taught to move a little bit better, but they're always going to be at more of a disadvantage than a horse that naturally moves uphill. I like to find a horse that enjoys spending time in canter. So when you're watching them move in the field, are they trotting everywhere or are they cantering everywhere? This sport is primarily when you get to the upper levels is a walk canter sport. So I want a horse that naturally has the tendency to want to carry himself, themselves in that frame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want a good mind because once they've gone through the whole process from dressage to cattle work, when you have to bring them back at the next competition and get them to work the obstacles slowly before they can do it at speed, if you've got a horse that has a tendency to get really tense and really ramped up, that's going to be, you're going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage when you have to come back and do the obstacles at the prescribed gates. So yes, we're looking for the all-around horse, but any horse can be made better by doing this discipline and the riders are going to learn a lot more about the mechanics of how the horse's body works. So it's a great sport to even just school at, even if you don't plan on competing. I can tell by the enthusiasm in your voice, you know, you're really passionate about it and you just, just love it. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Now as a clinician, Taryn, cause you go around and you teach this quite a lot. So that's correct, isn't it? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I yeah. travel about 28 weekends a year. Okay, so you travel the weekends. You don't say, right, I'm sort of going and I'll go from one to the other to the other, but you're coming home in between to work and train your own horses and I suppose your regular students that you have and then going out on the weekends and training. Is that right? Absolutely. Yep, it keeps me really busy. (laughs) It would do. It would do. Taryn, how far do you travel? Um, I have traveled to Mexico. I've traveled all over the United States. I'll be going to Canada this year. So Mm -hmm. I I have traveled from all corners of the United States to out of the country teaching. Or I was just going to say, Taryn, if someone's interested in getting you to do a clinic or something, um, obviously, if they've got the the numbers that are interested in the amount of teaching days to make it financially viable, you're certainly interested in traveling a bit further than the United States and Canada and Mexico. Oh, absolutely. I'm happy to go wherever the interest is. Okay, good, good. Now, tell us about what sort of person would have to be not just to go out and compete and do some equitation, working equitation, and obviously have a lot of fun and enjoy their horse, but what makes the top competitors better than everyone else? So the top competitors have to have a really great understanding of the biomechanics of the horse. So the Mm -hmm. one thing that you're not going to get away with in this sport is trying to fix everything through the face of the horse. These horses really have to be traveling from behind and they really have to be learning to sit on their hind legs. So the really top competitors in the sport have a great understanding of mechanics. They have a great understanding of how to physically develop a horse. They have a great understanding of um, the conditioning required. Um, they have a great understanding of getting the horse to come through the back and connect to the hand, not having a horse that's on the front end running into the hand. So the nice thing about this sport is that in the United States, we have it set up where you can start at a walk trot level. And at that walk trot level, we're looking for the riders that are figuring out the mechanics and how to get that horse, um, get control of the hind leg. They're not riding it off the inside rein. They're starting to get some throughness in the back so that they can develop up into the canter levels. At the most upper level of the sport, everything is performed one-handed in the canter with flying changes. 
Um, and in the ease of handling phase, that can oftentimes mean, you know, 15, 20, 25 flying lead changes in, you know, four to five minutes of time. So the Mm -hmm. horses have to be really balanced. The riders have to be really aware of where the horses are getting blocked in the body and learn to help the horse release in those areas. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Okay, good. And thinking about horses and training, say if you've got a rider who's done well, who really understands the biomechanics, who can really understand the sport and they get a horse. And I know that, you know, you say it takes the time it takes and you're going to give me a really broad answer here. That's fine. But to train a horse from, say, a a horse who's just being ridden for the first time all the way through, what sort of time are we looking at? Are we looking at like five years or 10 or 15 or how long? And that's a great question. The one thing about this sport is they're not allowed to enter even the walk trot level until they're at least four years old. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at developing up the levels, what I tell my riders is that if you are schooling five days a week and you are really working on advancing your horse, you need to figure that you could advance one level every 12 to 24 months. And that's really the schedule that you want to be on. So if you were going to go from level one to level seven, it could take 10 years easy to get there. And that's not an unreasonable expectation. The, you know, the horses have to have that time to develop and get strong enough to compete at those upper levels. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And good that, you know, it's not just one or two levels, but it's a gradual process of training and training and training. Absolutely. Each level is kind of, you know, developed to build on the skills of the previous level so that there is some sort of um, development ladder that the rider has a blueprint for. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask you about your proudest moment. Is it because, you know, someone you've trained has gone out and done well at a competition or is it people that just get, you know, up the next level or what do you think that is? If you're going to pinpoint a proudest moment, would it be one or would it be multiple within your career? as a working equitation clinician? There would be so many, um, just because for me, when I feel proud or when I feel joy in what I'm doing is when I really am able to influence a rider and they make a better connection with Mm -hmm. their horse. So I've seen some horses that are really uptight and anxious. And by changing a few things that the rider's doing with their communication, you can create a lot of relaxation in the horse. And you see a horse and rider pair that go from, you know, not really having great communication and having a lot of potential for some blow-ups to seeing a pair come together that are starting to work more in harmony. And you see the horse and rider getting happier together, which leads to, you know, horses that 
stay in homes for longer and they're not getting passed off to the next owner and, you know, dumped somewhere they shouldn't be dumped. But if you can help those riders understand the communication. So my proudest moments are when I can really see a horse and rider are struggling and I can make some small adjustments. It generally doesn't take big adjustments. Mm -hmm. There's just some minor communication gaps and I can make those small changes. And within a few days, even at a clinic, you can see such a huge relief in the horse, Mm -hmm. but also you see joy in the rider starting to come out because they're actually starting to enjoy what they're doing instead of dreading having to go out and ride that horse. Good. Those are my proudest achievements. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. If you go into a clinic, you know, and how many riders do you have at a clinic? So I usually cap my clinics at about 12 riders so that mm-hmm. we can get good quality schooling time yep. together. If if you get more than that, it makes it hard to give everybody, you know, enough enough time to actually send them home with some beneficial exercises and helpful hints that will help them on their journey. Mm-hmm. And over how many days do you do these? It really depends on the organizers. I've gone to places where we've done it over four days. I've gone to where we just do it over a weekend and two days. So yep. it really depends on the interest in the area and what the area can support. Okay. So when you do this, you know, obviously the first year, you if you're doing 28 weekends a year, you wouldn't have done the 28. You've been doing it for a while. How did you start? How did it build up? What do you think the biggest challenge, and this is finances aside, money aside, what's been your biggest challenge to getting to the stage where you are now? And also too, how have you overcome it? Um, so I, I think the the biggest challenge in the beginning was that the sport was so new, so a lot of people didn't know about it. Okay. Um, you would have individuals show up at a clinic and it was, you know, working equitation clinic. And in their mind, it was like a Western rail class because they just heard the word equitation mm-hmm. and they're thinking about going around in circles and having judges judge them. So in the beginning, it was just getting the word out about the sport and getting people to understand what the sport was. And honestly, so many people are drawn to this and enjoy it so much that once you get five or six people in an area interested, it it kind of grows like wildfire. So it, it kind of promotes, the sport promotes itself. So in the beginning, it was just an unknown sport, but as it's grown, then individuals, you know, they talk to their friends about it and pretty soon, you know, you're almost, and this is true for a lot of people teaching the sport in the United States is that there's, almost more demand than there is time to teach it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's okay. a good thing. Yep. Now, before you did that, were you already teaching people and then you competed and did well and so people asked you to teach them? How did you get started in the very beginning? Think about the first person you taught. <laughs> the first person I taught was honestly when I was probably a teenager in 4-H and they always had the older kids teaching the younger oh, kids. Yeah. And yep. so... You know, so I started teaching at a very young age. And in my teens, I can remember that it was $5 a lesson every time, you know, I taught somebody. Mm-hmm. And so you'd spend an hour and make five bucks, but that was your your gas money. <laughs> so that's where it started. And then it just kind of grew from there. I don't know that I, when I was young, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I don't think I ever thought I wanted to teach people and, and train horses, but it just kind of grew. I, I had um, the ability to communicate with the riders. And so it grew all through my late teens. I was doing it when I moved out of the house and it started 
supporting my own horses. And in the beginning, that was all I needed to do was I needed to support my own horses. It was kind of my side job. And then I had kids and started doing the training and the teaching full time. I started giving clinics probably as, I don't know, probably in my early 20s. Um, just some basic horsemanship clinics, some judging clinics for youth, helping them with their judging projects. And then when I came to the sport of working equitation, I, you know, I was enjoying it. I was competing and I had individuals that came and asked me to start, you know, coming to teach it in their area. They wanted to come take lessons and it just kind of grew from there. Very good. Yeah. Now, just say you go in and someone's contacted you and said, can you come down and do a clinic for us? They've got their 12 riders. You haven't seen any of them before. You don't know any of their background. What's a common fault you would expect to see with either the riders or the horses or, yeah, whatever, and how can you fix this? So I'm so glad you asked that because there are some common faults that I see, and probably the biggest one is that they have a hold of that inside rein. And so they're Mm -hmm. using that inside rein as a security blanket and they have no connection to the outside of the horse. So the horse is constantly disengaging the hind end. And the biggest issue that I see and talk to the riders about is that by hanging on that inside rein, you're really putting a big block on the horse, both mentally and physically. You're you're creating a block where they can't come through the shoulder, but that horse is also far more worried about what's happening in their mouth than what's happening on their back and sides. That mouth is the most sensitive thing. So when you have a rider that's just hanging on that inside rein and is riding in more of a containment mindset than a guiding mindset, the horse is pretty unhappy. The horse isn't coming under with the hind legs or through the back. So the first thing that I address when I come into an area, almost hands down is going to be getting control of the outside hind leg Mm -hmm. and giving up that inside rein, getting the horse connected to the outside rein. And usually what I do in that circumstance is that we're working some pretty basic exercises, some circles and turns, and I have the riders just put their rein in one hand. And the look on their face when you tell them to let go of that inside rein and just ride with the feet and leg and that guiding outside rein is shocking. But within two days of of riding, they're riding that horse everywhere one-handed because they're now focusing more on what's happening behind them and under them rather than what's happening in front of them. So that's the biggest thing I usually tackle going into a new area. Okay. Now you said a couple. So is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, Just to stress that the the worrying about the mouth can create a lot of problems in the relationship with the horse and rider. And so you see the riders that are always trying to fix the face of the horse to get the artificial frame that might look good to individuals that don't have the trained eye to see the horse coming through the back, but it creates a lot of tension in the horse. And Mm -hmm. so what I like to have those riders do is really focus on what's coming from behind and to straighten the body of the horse and not worry so much about the head and neck. So I really try to get their focus off the head and neck. neck. In fact, I tell them that in the beginning, they'd be better off to be riding blindfolded so they couldn't see what was happening in front of them, but they were feeling and focusing more on what was happening behind them and underneath of them. So we focus on that. We focus on getting rid of the blocks in the horse's body. So trying to figure out where the horses are leaning versus bending. Um, The second thing, biggest problem that I run into is that the horse is locked in the trunk area. So it can't move its rib cages left or right like it's designed to on the thoracic sling. And we have to work to figure out where that block is happening and why that horse is locking down that trunk. 
Good, good. I think that your dressage background coming then when you started to explain all of that, you sounded like you were talking about I'm going to go out and train a dressage horse almost, but it it follows through to everything, doesn't it? (laughs) It follows through to everything. And, you know, I I stress that with the riders when they go, oh, we've got to ride dressage. I said, you know, dressage is just basic training that really every horse should have. And if we did that, we could eliminate a lot of our problems. Mm, mm. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. There was someone that you wanted to talk about, Lorene Bird. Yes. Tell us a little bit about her. She's inspired you. She's obviously taught you quite a lot. But yeah, tell us about why, why you would choose her as a person that's inspired you. You know, I think the biggest thing was when I met her, she, she, her husband had passed. She was already in her mid seventies and she had this whole herd of horses. And for some reason we just took a a liking to each other and I became, she physically couldn't get out there anymore and, and work with a lot of horses, but she would always be out there. She would have me over to help her, help her break the young ones. She would have me over to help doctor the ones that had injuries, but she was always out there sharing her wisdom and she never was too busy to answer my questions. And she was never too um, tired or, or agitated with all my questions because I always had a ton and she and her husband had, you know, raised these ranch horses for years and worked the cattle on them. And she had so many stories and so much advice. And she was really the the individual who gave me a start with the line of horses I have now. She she was the one that um, sold me some horses, let me work for her to pay for some of them when I was in my late teens and really couldn't afford to, to buy any good horses. She mm-hmm. allowed me to trade working for her. And so to me, that's kind of set my precedent going forward. I try and do that with other people. I try and remember that generosity and and the paying it forward mindset. And that's had a big influence on how I've handled business and relationships. Let's hope then that the next generation on, we say, right, well, who's been someone who's really influenced you? And they talk about Taryn Warren and how you influence them. So um, yeah, paying it forward. Absolutely. Now, thinking about, and I know that you're busy, but what have you got planned in the next 12 months, two years? Is it more travel, more influencing people, traveling to a wider area? So you're influencing in a few other countries besides Canada and US and Mexico. You tell me, what's your plans? So my plan is that um, I'll continue going to the areas that have been having me regularly for the three years. Mm -hmm. Um, If I've got other areas that open up and want to have me, I'll be happy to go. I honestly um, am hoping to cut back on a few weekends over the next couple of years. So I've got some young horses coming up that I want to get in the show ring in in addition to my advanced horses. It's time to start hauling them. So I'm, I'm got a lot of clients locally that are wanting to do more intensive trainings. I've got individuals that want to actually, that come to our property and do some intensive on our facility. So my goal is to continue traveling, um, but also to start welcoming, welcoming some individuals to the facility, either to take some intensive training sessions on our horses or haul their horses in and have, you know, like a horse vacation where they're getting some um, instruction maybe twice a day and, and they stay for three or four days and, and then go on home and, and practice. But I will continue training. Like I said, I've, um, and traveling, I'm going to, Canada later this year. I'm looking forward to that. 
and looking forward to just continuing servicing the individuals that that I've been so blessed to be a part of their journey. I just enjoy them all so much and and enjoy their um, joy for the learning and the sport. So my goal will be to to maybe stay home a few more weekends, but still <laughs> teach at the same same volume. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Taryn, this has been wonderful talking to you. You know, relatively new sport, and you're obviously just a bit of an old hand at it. It's funny, isn't it? You know, you've said that everything's come together. All of the other bits and pieces of the horse industry you've done have just come together to make you the ideal person to be out promoting this working equitation as a new sport. So thanks for coming and taking the time to talk to us about it today. It's been very good, very educational, and let's hope that other people will see the benefits of this sport and uh, we'll continue it on and make it continue to grow. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time to to have a chat with me. Not a problem. Now, just before you go, if you were going to sum up just in a couple of sentences or a sentence, your whole philosophy about working equitation, what would you say? I would say that remembering to have the patience that the horse needs the time to develop the strength, the horse needs the time to develop the throughness, that you're you're going to struggle to be successful in this sport if you're worried about what's in front of you. Um, we've got to keep the tension out of them to keep their minds in a place where they can continue to be educated and take the pressures of the sport. So I would just encourage the riders that this sport will do a lot for educating your horse, educating you as a rider, and make you successful in all areas of your horsemanship. Okay. And have fun as well because, to me, you know, I haven't competed, but I've seen it and it looks like a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun and there's a lot of great camaraderie. You know, Mm. you've got people who just travel together a lot for the camaraderie just as much as the competition. Yep, yep. Now, Taryn, your contact details will be on horsechats.com slash Taryn Warren. But if people would like to get your contact details direct, what are they? What's the best way to contact you? So the best way to contact me is going to be T-N-T-S-A-R-M-S-Q-T-R horses at yahoo.com or my cell phone number, which is 512-269-9270. Okay, so that's TNT Farms Quarter yes. Horses. Okay, so your website as well. Yes, the website is the TNT Farms QTR Horses.com. Perfect. All right, or else just go to horsechats.com, search for Taryn or search for Warren, or you could probably even search for Working Equitation and you'll find those contact details there. Taryn, thank you for coming. Thank you for your knowledge, and hopefully we'll catch up sometime soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses, or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 